let's begin our time of consideration in the Word with prayer. Father, thank you that we can consider what you have said, how you have recorded these truths in your Word. Thank you that we can sing about them together and we can have confidence that your Word is true. Enable us by your Spirit to understand what you've recorded and we pray, Father, that you would strengthen our faith in you. We pray for anyone that might be watching that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. We pray that even during this time, your Spirit would make them alive, that they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus for salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and there in this passage, there's a really interesting and vivid picture of a victory parade, and I think it will serve us well in our consideration of meditating through the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ has won on behalf of everyone who turns from their sin and turns to Jesus for their salvation. This victory parade is vivid. It begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. We'll pick a little bit back in the context to start. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. This picture reminds us of some historical parades that would have been going on around the first century when a Roman general would have won great victories on the war path. And in returning to Rome, the streets of the city would be lined up in this parade-like setting. Before the general's chariot, you'd have those captives, those that would be soon executed. And behind the general would likely be his soldiers coming in, celebrating their victory. The people would line the streets. that would be the fragrance of uh, celebration to the gods for the victories that were won. For those soldiers returning from the field, difficult days, I'm sure, this smell, this scene was very celebratory. It brought them great joy and rejoicing. And yet for those captives in front of the chariot, for them it was a smell and a sound of death. They knew what awaited them days or moments later. 
This victory celebration depicts the victory of those that follow the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the greatest victory of all of human history. Over uh, When Jesus rose from the grave, he was victorious over sin, over Satan, over death. His resurrection assures our final resurrection, that we too will rise from the dead and be with God forever, those who have turned from their sin and turned to Jesus Christ. This victory for us, as we hear the gospel, as we read of the resurrection, as we consider the works of the Lord Jesus, there's great joy and rejoicing in our soul. For others, when they hear these things, there's a different smell, a different sound. Which group are you associated with? Are you of those who are rejoicing at the preaching of the gospel because you have experienced the salvation of your soul? Or are you one of those who are under the sentence of death because you have not received the victorious salvation from your sin offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. As we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we consider the victory, the victory of Christ. Has that victory benefited you? Can that victory benefit you? Are you a recipient of the blessing of Jesus' victory? Take a look with me, please, at Luke 24 as we read one of the resurrection accounts. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living? among the dead. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. The disciples were experiencing in real time the emotion and the the sadness, the confusion of, of events they just didn't understand. Even though the Lord Jesus had told them, he had warned them of the days that were coming, and yet they didn't understand to this point. And yet God was unveiling to them all along the way, his plan and purpose. And even in these events, as the, the disciples' hearts are, are just confused, we are starting to see, and we will start to see, as the pages of Scripture turn, we'll start to see that they recognized exactly that this was God's perfect plan, that the Lord Jesus 
needed to suffer. He needed to be crucified. He needed to be buried. And he needed to be raised from the dead. And so as their eyes were opened, maybe they were born again, and the Spirit of God begins to do his work in them. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit enters into them, they, they have a holy boldness that comes as a result of this understanding. The disciples, from a historical perspective, were all martyred for their steadfast proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw that this resurrection was indeed the victory that Jesus had won. James was the first, we're aware of that. Paul and Peter, sometime in the late 60s, were martyred for their preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then sometime in the 90s, we see uh, John, the apostle, coming to the end of his life, in, uh, sent to the Isle of Patmos, This, I'm sure, didn't feel like a victory parade. And the reason is the real enjoyment of Jesus' victory was future. And even for us, while we enjoy victories here in time as we consider the work of the Lord Jesus, the real victory still lies before us. Take a look with me at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, please. We want to see that the disciples staked everything that they had on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, where Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. Now that's what my version says, by many proofs. The New American Standard reads this way, by many convincing proofs. And the King James Version reads, By many infallible proofs, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings, by many infallible proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The the Apostle Luke is, or Dr. Luke is letting us know of Jesus' convincing resurrection and how the disciples understood it. And we're going to see it impacting their preaching. Take a look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and his preaching is convincing. He is absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ won the greatest victory known to man. In verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. 
loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You have made me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Listen to this, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. You see, Peter's preaching was all based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What was confusion to them has become the source of hope and confidence and proclamation. Look at chapter 3 of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3, we want to see him preaching again in verse 12 and following. It says, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, he's talking again about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. This is the source and is the substance of his preaching, of his confidence, of his hope. As we look a little further at the confidence that has come to the apostles, and most notably in these readings about Peter, take a look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The confidence exudes 
Jesus raised from the dead. This is the, the substance of their preaching and their hope. Take a look now at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. The apostles, the preachers, the teachers of this New Testament church, they were all convinced of the victory that was obtained through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15 in such an incredible way as we read one of the more um, important chapters on the resurrection. It is about the resurrection from the beginning to the end of the chapter. Listen to his words beginning in verse 1 right down through verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This confidence, Jesus, has been himself. But the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the finished work, proclaimed a victory, a once-for-all victory over Satan. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Destroy the one who has the power of death. And here's how the Apostle John recorded it in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He says this, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, brought forth, that he might destroy the works of the devil. While the crucifixion was a bruising of Jesus' heel, the resurrection was a crushing of Satan's head. Jesus has been seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1.21 tells us this. Not only was Jesus' resurrection a sign of his victory over Satan, it was also a sign of victory over sin. Take a look at Isaiah 53 for a moment. Isaiah 53 is one of the great sections of Old Testament Scripture. The suffering servant. We see many sobering realities about our Savior in Isaiah 53. We want to just notice verse 10. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
to make him an offering for sin. He was an offering for sin. We remember the statements both from Leviticus and Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We remember the statement of the Apostle John in 1 John 2.2 2, where he says he himself, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation, the settlement of God's wrath. He's the propitiation for our sin and not only for ours, but also for the sin of the whole world. And you'll remember the statement of John the Baptist. Remember he sees the Lord Jesus and he points, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How far has he taken that sin away from us? Well, the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us. The author of Hebrews, quoting the New Covenant, reads this, or writes this, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection declare a definitive victory over our sin. But what what do we have to do? Turn, turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation. His work, his finished work, is enough. It's satisfying to God. There's a definitive victory that's been declared. Not only these, victory over Satan and victory over sin, but also Jesus' resurrection declares clearly a victory over death. Back to Hebrews chapter 2 for a moment. Hebrews 2 and verse 15. It says, And delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He delivered all those. I'll read it again. Delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is an interesting thought and, and I think we all have various perspectives on this, right? But I think for those that know Jesus as their Savior, there's some pretty clear symmetry in the way we think about this. None of us looks forward to the process of death. We don't know, am I going to be hit by a, a bus? Am I going to be, you know, go down in a plane someday? Am I going to be stricken with cancer? What will it be? I have no idea. Am I going to die of old age? Am I going to die of the coronavirus? I don't, I don't know what, what's, what's the process. No one's happy about the process. No one, no one looks forward to that. But for a believer, we're not afraid of the fact of death. Why? Because Jesus, through his definitive victory, has removed the stinger from death. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Again, that great resurrection chapter. We'll start reading in verse 53, right down through verse 57. It says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your 
victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The stinger's been removed. The sting has been removed. The process still unpleasant, but bondage, bondage to death, no. Because Jesus has been raised the first fruits. Look a little earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 12 through 18 or 19, there's this meditation. If Jesus were not raised from the dead, our faith is vain. We're still in our sins and we're lost. We're miserable. But verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. The first gathering. The first fruits promises more harvest. And every one that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation will experience this same resurrection. We will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. Our vile body will be translated, transformed into his glorious body. How will that happen? By the same power by which Jesus subdues all things to himself. This is secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Finally, as we consider the uh, for this morning, the victory that has been won for us, victory over Satan, victory over sin, victory over death, We want to recognize there's another victory, and that's the provision of the assurance of our resurrection, which I just mentioned. The provision of the assurance of our resurrection. We read it already in 1 Corinthians 15, but take a look also at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Paul is continuing his argument that justification comes by faith alone, in Christ alone, that there's no other way to be justified. But the basis of this justification is not faith in and of itself. It's faith in God, and very specifically, faith in the God-man who lived for us, was crucified for us, and was raised for us. Listen to what he says in verses 24 of Romans 4 and following. He says, But for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in confidence that we will share in the glory of God, that we will be in the presence of God's glory. We have been forgiven based upon Jesus' crucifixion, and we have been declared righteous based upon Jesus' victorious resurrection. 
Well, how does this take place? Look at Romans chapter 10. There must be a point when you call upon the Lord for salvation. There must be a point when you turn from your sin and cry out in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Watching a victory celebration for someone else's team is kind of hollow. You don't get a feeling of satisfaction. Well, today, as in our study, as in all of our studies, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he is your Savior, you feel a great sense of rejoicing. This is your everything. Everything you have relates to this resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a celebration of life eternal. However, if Jesus is not your Savior, you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, to forgive you of your sin and to grant you eternal life, this celebration may seem useless or hollow. One last passage of Scripture. We want to read three verses from the book of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Jesus has won the ultimate victory. That's what we celebrate every time we're together. In John, chapter 3, in verse 18, listen to these words. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. In other words... There's victory. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son or does not believe the Son or is not persuaded concerning the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remember that victory parade coming in? For some, it was a smell and a sound and a scene of victory. And for others, it was the smell and sound and scene of death. This is the choice that Jesus lays before you. Believe in the Son, you have life. Don't believe the wrath of God abides on you. Believe on the Lord and you're not condemned. Don't believe and your condemnation is confirmed. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the the offering. Today, you can experience the benefits of Jesus' victory over Satan, over sin, and over death. You can be assured 
of the resurrection of your spirit and soul unto life eternal with God. How? Turn from your sin and turn to the only solution God gives for you. Turn to Jesus. He lived a life you could never live perfectly. He died a death that was enough to obtain forgiveness for your sin. He was buried. And praise God, our glorious Father, He was raised. He was raised. He was raised from the dead. Victorious. Are you sharing in that victory? Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. Thank you for the the great love with which you've loved us. I pray, Father, that we would rejoice in you, that anyone that does not know you that's listening to the sound of these words would even now recognize that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is enough to pay their sin debt and to grant them eternal righteousness. May they turn from their sin and turn to Jesus and have life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.